night had descended upon us, a small group of us from the well, our young adult group, were out in the Alamo Heights community collecting furniture Wednesday night after our Lenten series here at church. It was evening and it was dark and we went and knocked on three or four different people's houses on their doors that had already committed to giving us furniture and clothing and linens and mattresses and dressers and you name it. And we loaded up the trucks and we headed to a house on the west side of San Antonio in the middle of the night to deliver these items. There we met the mom, Heather, and her five children, two that go to James Madison School, one who is in middle school, and her two daughters who are in high school, living in a small three-bedroom, two-story house that she just recently was able to rent, but they had nothing. The only thing in their house was a beautiful credenza with a TV in their living room, but other than that, nothing. We proceeded to unload the trucks, one at a time, um, beds for the kids, dressers for everyone, clothing, stacks of clothing, board games for everyone to play. It was amazing. Heather pulled me aside and she said, you know, this, this just is incredible. A year and a half ago, she said, a year and a half ago, I, I left my husband because for the previous decade, he had been a meth addict and had sold everything that they had owned. The cars, the beds, the dressers, the clothing for the kids, everything, in order to fuel his drug addiction. The abuse, the violent abuse and physical and sexual abuse got so severe that she gathered up the kids, called the police, and the kids watched their dad and her husband get arrested in front of them, and they left with nothing. They spent the last year and a half on the streets or in shelters until she could find a job and make enough money to make a down payment on a place for her to stay and to bring security to her children. But still, they had no furniture. They had no clothing, no dishes, not a thing. And that's where Christ Church stepped in. We were alerted of this and we put the word out to our partners and, and to the people that we know in the 78212 zip code and 78209 zip codes and people began to volunteer and donate mattresses and beds and other things. Um, we even had a mattress company say that they would give two brand new twin mattresses to the family. We picked all of that stuff up and we brought it to the house on Wednesday evening and it was like Christmas. It was, it was amazing. We set up the beds in the boys' room, and the two littlest ones, I think they're in third grade, maybe fourth grade, climbed up onto the beds and began to jump on them, <laughs> full of joy. Just, you know, oh my God, like, you know, I, I was afraid that the ceilings are pretty low in this house. I was afraid that one of their little heads was going to go through the ceiling. Um, but we stood in there and it was just incredible to hear the laughter and the joy of a family who had experienced such extreme darkness for their entire lives. 
I turned around and started to go downstairs to uh, get the dressers and a couple other beds and other things that we had donated and to empty the vehicles that were out in, in, the, um, in the street so that we could move them. And when I walked back in with a dresser in hand and placed it between the beds, there were the two little boys taking out the beautiful new linens that had been donated to them and they were carefully and meticulously making their beds. I wish my kids could have seen it. You do a great job now, so. But when you were little. But it was absolutely incredible to see them pull the fitted sheet around this brand new mattress and to smooth it out with their little hands, just ever so carefully. There was not a wrinkle. You couldn't see a wrinkle at all. They took the, the flat sheets and tucked them under and pulled them up and, and put brand new pillows into the pillowcases and put them at the head of where their, head, their little heads would go. And then they took the comforters, the, the, the quilts that were um, beautifully made for them, and they put them on the beds. And then what did they do? They climbed back up and started to jump again. <laughs> I could hear between the laughter and the screams of joy, I could hear them say, I can't wait to go to bed. Now, that's amazing in and of itself, right? For a third grader, fourth grader to say that. I can't wait to go to bed to get a good night's sleep. I've never had a bed before. Imagine that. In the middle of the night, Christ Church delivered hope delivered love and grace to a family in need. In the same way, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. In the Gospel of John, when we hear about night or darkness, they, they, the, the writers of John wanted that to symbolize for us blindness. And so whenever you hear of darkness and night, you, you are to think of the symbol of blindness. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus blind of, of the fact of who Jesus is. Yet when they meet in this darkness, something clicks rather immediately. The darkness is overcome by Jesus, who Jesus is, and Nicodemus begins his, his discourse with, with Jesus by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are something special because the things that you do could only be done by someone who lives in the presence of God or the presence of God lives in them. You are amazing. Now, that's the Justin Lindstrom interpretation of what you heard, but I can imagine that's what Nicodemus basically said. And Jesus proceeds then to teach him about how to be born again. And they have this funny dialogue because Jesus is, is speaking about a spiritual rebirth and, and Nicodemus is thinking about a physical birth and not knowing how that could actually take place. But ultimately, we believe that, that Nicodemus was transformed in some shape or form because later in John, in the Gospel of John, he defends Jesus who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for. We don't see that in chapter 3 of John, but we see that later on. And so somehow, in some way, even though in this particular story, we don't quite get that Nicodemus got it, that he actually understood that he was standing in the presence of Almighty God in Jesus Christ, 
that the love of God and the light of Christ had filled him and that he no longer lived in blindness and darkness and night. But we do know that later on, he testifies to that transformation. Isn't that the way it works sometimes? Transformation comes and it's later on in the chapters of our life that we actually recognize that something significant had taken place. Jesus summarizes his dialogue with Nicodemus with, I think, the the two most powerful verses in Scripture. The first one we see at football games and soccer games on big poster boards, right? John 3.16. Oftentimes it just says John 3.16. And I think some people in the world probably go, who's John? Does he have three kids and 16 houses? What is this all about, right? They don't understand what it is. Hopefully people would then write out the whole Scripture passage And include 17, because they're powerful together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it through him. Amazing. I think Nicodemus got that message that night. It may have took a little bit for it to sink in, but I think he knew and understood that Jesus was the Son of God, that he came not to condemn but to save all people. The light of Christ illumined his darkness, and he could jump for joy. Last week, we were at a group of us of 10 were in Mission Waco, And on our first night there, Thursday night, we were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Our first night there, we were asked if it would be okay if we could invite the manna house to come eat dinner with us. And the the leaders of Mission Waco said that would be great. We, We had extra food and we wanted to share it with some of the people that they serve. Manna House is a a home for men, about 10 to 10 to 12 men who are in recovery. Many of them are coming out of prison after, after um, drug addictions and alcohol addictions that cause them then to steal and do different things that, that put them into prison and they're coming out of prison and they then come to the manna house. Every day at the manna house they wake up between 5 and 6 a.m. and they cook breakfast for each other, they clean their home, they have breakfast together and then they go out into the community for four hours and serve doing different kinds of of service projects within the Waco community. At noon, they come back to the house and have lunch together. They cook with each other and for each other. They clean up, and then they're in therapy the rest of the afternoon. Around 6 o'clock, they have dinner, and then the rest of the evening, they spend in very deep and intentional Bible study and prayer for each other. That is their road to recovery. Service, action, Support of one another, prayer, and Bible study. It's amazing. So these men came to us and to to the community center that we were staying at, and they had dinner with us. Ten black men, the biggest black men I've ever seen in my entire life. Huge guys. um, Dressed to the nines. I, I think they got all their Sunday best clothes out and came ready for a gourmet meal, and we served them tacos. But they loved it. I have never seen paper plates so full that the food was like dripping off the side and the plates were bending. They were so hungry, um, but they loved it. 
We had great conversation at the tables, and, and we, we listened intently to the stories of each and every guy that was there. The struggles that they've had in their marriages and, and the redemption that they're searching for with their children. The, the life that they've lived prior to coming to Manor House and the new life that they've been restored into, the new light that they've experienced in Christ Jesus as they live in the Manor House and seek a deeper recovery. It was amazing. We prayed for each other and had times of, of prayer at our tables and, and as a group. And at the very end, a, a, a big guy stood up and said, he, he's at least 6'8", 350 pounds, and he said, I'd, I'd like to say a word. And I was like, sure, you can. You can say, say as much as you like. Yeah, you can say as many words as you want. I am not going to stop you because I can't stop you. It was amazing. This big, big guy who had lived a life of drugs and alcohol and disappointment turned to us and said, you know, the food was great. The conversation was better. But when we were invited to be with you, that meant the world to me. I will never forget it. When the times are tough and the temptations are there, now I know that not only do I have these other nine guys to support me and to love me, and I, I know that Jesus is with me, but now I know that there's a church in San Antonio, 10 people and now hundreds of people who will be praying for me, and that will keep me going. That'll keep me on the right path. That will allow me to know the light of Christ that overcomes the darkness, that will allow me to know that I am saved by our Lord and Savior, and that will allow me to jump for joy. It was amazing. I will never forget that night. Last Sunday was the 20th anniversary of Sam Shelters, San Antonio Metropolitan Ministries, their shelters um, empty bowl fundraiser. And I was with the director of development this week, and she mentioned that it went really well, and, and I apologized that I couldn't be there because I was in Mission Waco, and we exchanged stories and that kind of thing, and, and it was great. And she said, we have some extra bowls. They're, they're cracked, and, and some of them aren't glazed appropriately, so they're not food-grade ready, and we were just going to throw them out. And I said, please don't throw them out. I would love to have a couple of these bowls because um, I could sort my pens and my paper clips with them and, and repurpose them for new and interesting things, but not food. And so she brought the bowls to me on Thursday, and I began to think about it. Our life are like these bowls. Look how beautiful they are. But when you get up close and you start to inspect them, you can see that this, this dark one here has some places where the glaze didn't take. That the, the love of God didn't take. Aren't there places in your life where the love of God is not taking right now? You're not fully glazed. I'm not fully glazed. Our bowl, our life is defective on its own. But with Christ, it can be repurposed into something new and beautiful. 
Maybe you won't put soup in it, but paper clips would be another great idea, or whatever you might think of. The other bowl has a, a crack in it. You can see it real up close. It's a, it's a hairline crack, but it goes all the way down and comes all the way back up. And, and I would think that if, if it was tapped just right, that whole section would probably pop out. And, and isn't that kind of like our life as well? That we're cracked and we're broken, and, and if, we're just, if our buttons are pushed just right, that, that the, the anger that's in us or the frustrations that, that's in us or whatever is, is upon us might just pop out and we might unleash on somebody. But isn't it beautiful that even before we recognize these cracks and these fissures and brokenness in our life, Jesus Christ, we are promised today in the gospel, is already healing us. For he came to love and to save, not to condemn. Not to pull this piece out and say, now you're broken, you're going to the trash. But to actually say, I'm going to keep you whole and keep you together. Japanese culture will actually take their pottery bowls and where, where they are cracked, they will fill those cracks with gold in order to seal those cracks, but also so that you would see the cracks, that you would continue to recognize that you are broken, and in my interpretation, that you need Jesus to make you a whole bowl. Y'all, the season of Lent is the opportunity for us to see the cracks and fissures of our life, for us to look deeply and to see what parts of our life are not being glazed by the joy and love of Christ, and to ask God then to begin the process of healing us and restoring us, that the darkness of our life would be overcome by the light of Christ, that the fear that we hold would be overcome by God's love and grace, that the forgiveness that we need, we would recognize that it's already happened. And that we would come to our bed every night and get up on it and jump for joy. Amen. Amen.